This is Aviation Careers Podcast, an aviation podcast about living your dream and pursuing an exciting aviation career. Your host, Carl Valeri, has over a decade of experience counseling pilots. Aviation Careers Podcast will help you navigate towards your aviation career goal. Here is your host, Carl Valeri. And what's the best way to get to a major airline as far as time in a jet aircraft? Welcome to this episode, episode 98 of Aviation Careers Podcast. My name is Carl Valerian. I am joined this evening with uh, actually somebody who's been doing a lot of work on our scholarships, a scholarship analyst, Paul Greco. Paul, welcome. Thanks, Carl. Great to be back. Hey, you know, it's, it's been a really interesting ride uh, as far as the scholarships are concerned. We've changed quite a few things. We're coming out with a new 2016 guide. We just published a 2015 in the new format, which a lot of people really like. It's what we should have done in the beginning. Made it a lot easier for you to actually go through this. Paul has been doing a lot of work on some of the new uh, scholarships. And, Paul, just to give me a, a feel as to, you know, where we're going. I mean, are things are things uh, growing quickly? Oh, things are growing Things are growing really quickly. We have, we have, uh, we have scholarships that uh, a gigantic list of scholarships that we haven't even we haven't even begun to publish yet. Uh, we've been publishing, uh, we've been publishing do- dozens of scholarships each month, and uh, and the book is growing by leaps and bounds. And I, I agree. I think the new format. I think I think the users are going to find the new format really user friendly, really easy to use, and it's going to make searching for. Uh, scholarships specific to their individual situations much easier, and uh, and I think they're going to find it to be really helpful. Well, cool. One of the things that we're going to do is uh, my uh, wife, Gina, has actually joined the team, and she's going to help us actually put out some more of these scholarships and do some research. I'm really excited about that. Also excited about uh, some of the questions that we're going to answer today. Today's another question and answer session. Uh, I know we get a lot of requests for these, um, and we're going to continue to do these. If you have a question and you want to answer it on the podcast, just go to feedback at Aviation Careers Podcast. Also, you just go to aviationcareerspodcast.com and click on the contact page there, and then uh, you'll you'll be able to do either a feedback or an online form. The best way, though, is, is through the email. If you do have a scholarship, by the way, I know people have asked, you know, how do we actually place a scholarship in the guide? Well, it's easy. Just go to feedback at aviationcareerspodcast.com. And uh, many different people read those emails, by the way. Uh, there's about four different people. Uh, so uh, we make sure that it, it, it actually gets looked at. And uh, we actually place that into the guide. It might take a little while because we are now finally becoming a definitive guide for the scholarships and uh we get a lot of a lot of input now so we're approximately i think i think the last look it was at least about a hundred and some odd scholarships behind right now uh in putting them in the guide so just give us a little while we'll get it out there Anyway, uh, without further ado, I just want to real quickly say thanks for all those people that have uh, signed up for membership. Remember, membership on the Aviation Careers Podcast includes the scholarships guide, but also all the instructional videos. We do have, probably be out by the time you listen to this, we do have some more webinars that we're placing out there, both technical and also webinars that have to do with careers. So I really am excited about that. Well, Paul, you ready to answer some questions? Yeah, let's get going. All right. Uh, first question comes in uh, says, Hi there. I'm a longtime listener of your podcast. I enjoy it so much. I'm 17 years old. I live in France, and I dream of becoming a pilot since I was six. But now I have to make a decision for my future. I got to choose my way because this year is the end of a high school cycle. 
My grades are fine at school, and I'm uh, best of three. However, I have worked uh, and am still working hard to keep this position since it's my only way to reach my dream. However, with all this time <clears throat> what I've heard about, I'm confused. I don't know if I became an, if I became an airline pilot. I'd really love flying for the rest of my life. Would I feel this freedom that I am looking for? Would I have some time free to do what I love? You know, like he, he likes wingsuits, skydiving, going to the mountains. Would I get enough money to realize all I want to do? Would I have some time to take care of my family? Well, I don't know. <laughs> That's why I'm asking. I got a plan B since uh, a long time ago. If I couldn't enter a school and become an airline pilot, I'd like to work as an engineer. Nevertheless, uh, I don't know which engineer I could be. I thought about either aeronautics or aerospatial. Uh, however, I got the same questions with these jobs, what I do during the, for the rest of my life if I chose this job. Nowadays, I guess that my plans are changing between B and A. Yeah, it's and that's typical. I mean, you go from A to B, and I know it's, it's at times confusing, so that's good that you're actually thinking of this. Uh, he continues, I'd love to create something for the community. I'd love to fly. You know, it seems to be impossible, but my, my dream is to be the first pilot who settled with a colony on another planet. I guess it would be to talk to, better to talk to you in person sometime. You know, this is a really cool question because I love the last thing he says uh, about possibly being a pilot, uh, first pilot to settle on a colony on another planet. And I know talking to a lot of these different programs like SpaceX, etc., it's really interesting because they talk about doing the same thing, about settling on, on other planets and, and actually colonizing other planets. I, you know, it's not impossible. It's a really cool dream. So I'm, I'm glad you're doing that and, and you're dreaming big. I'm going to mention as far as a lifestyle, but first I want to, I want Paul to kind of to touch on this because I'm at, I'm at one end and, and Paul's just getting started. So Paul, tell us a little bit about your lifestyle and and try to answer his question as far as the lifestyle is concerned there. Yeah, sure. So I think that he's 17 years old and he's asking some really, really good questions in terms of um, of lifestyle, quality of life. He's thinking about his quality of life. He's thinking about um, he's thinking about a plan B, you know, which a backup plan to flying, which is always a good idea in the aviation industry with it being so uh, volatile at times. But to get, to get to his question about quality of life, you know, that depends on, in my, in my opinion, it depends on one, one thing. Are you a commuter or you, do you live in base? And if you, if you work for the airline and you live in base, this is a part-time job. Um, you will, once you get a little bit of seniority under your belt, you'll hold 15, 16 days off a month. And that's true. I know we're in, Carl and I are in two different places in, in our career right now. Uh, but even, even where I'm at, at a regional airline, you can still hold 15, 16 days off a month um, and, and have a high time schedule, efficient trips, and have a good quality of life. The pay is not as as well as it could be at a major airline, but in terms of time off, quality of life, being able to do the other things in life that you want to do, um, the the opportunity is there. And so, and so, this listener asks a very specific question about working as an engineer, and I think it's a great idea. I think he should do both. I mean, he can work as an engineer and get his flight training accomplished and then he can do both i work as a nurse and i do that as well as um working as an airline pilot 
so I, I think it's very possible, and I think that uh, I think he's asking all the right questions, and he's clearly he's clearly a sharp guy at 17 years old. So to answer that question from my perspective, and here I am at at the at the end of my quote unquote career, or, or at my destination, I should say, I'm at the destination in my aviation career. I've I feel that you have plenty of time to do the things that you want, and uh, you know, for instance. Look at all this time I spend on this podcast and everything else we do with the career coaching and, and the consulting work that I do outside of here with the media and, and that type of thing. Well, you know, that, that takes time. And I'm, there's no way in the world I could do that without having all this time off. What's really cool, and I'm starting to realize this now, is if I didn't have all these projects, I, I you know, honestly, not talking airline, I work at least 50, 60 hours a week, usually up to 70 hours. I'm working every day on the scholarships, uh, helping people out with their career, et cetera. But that's my own choosing. So I'm actually uh, I'm actually on vacation right now, and we're recording this podcast, but uh, we're recording it early in my vacation, and, and I'm able to, to put this out so that a whole week I can take off. This is what's really, really cool about this job, you know. Paul touched on it. There's people that, like myself, I commute to work. So I spend at least six hours on the front end, six hours on the back end of every trip trying to get home, uh, which not, sometimes turns into 24 hours, depending on how bad the commute is. But even with that, I have a lot of days off. I have, I, you know, for a while I was only working about 12 days a month because I chose to do that because I wanted to do other projects. And there's so many other people that have the same lifestyle as I do. Some people choose to go and travel. Um, it's, it's a very, it's interesting because now that, you know, my wife is a good example. My wife is working for me now in the business and it's, it's hard for her to understand that on our days off, we were thinking of going, just going to Europe and going to Italy because that's where all my family is. And that's where my wife grew up is in Italy. Well, we can just go over there anytime we wish or say we want to go to the Caribbean. So on Monday, we're thinking of going to the Caribbean. And then, you know, my wife says, well, should we go in the morning or the afternoon? Oh, let's go in the afternoon. See, those are it's interesting, the decisions you make. It's like going to the park. I'm going to go instead of going to the park, I'm going to go to a beach in the Caribbean. So that's that's a different kind. And it's hard to get your, your head around that fact. There's so many people out there on their days off. They have tons of fun. They go and they travel for a living. Uh, had one of those people on this podcast. I love watching his pictures on Facebook. He came back to the regionals, and he's having a blast on his days off. You're working as a regional pilot. Remember, you can travel on the major airline you work for. And he's traveling all over Europe and, and all over the world, really, and he's seeing places he never would have been able to see without having this type of job. So there's there's a lot of benefits to this, and a big part is taking time off. So when when he mentions that you know he wants to go to the mountains and and skydiving and that type of thing, well, you know what? There's a <laughs> you have a lot of time to do those things, and uh, it, it's just awesome. You know, this afternoon I'm going to go hang out uh, at the beach uh, with my wife, and, and that's about it. It's on my it's on my day off, and I can do whatever I want. As a matter of fact, here's a funny thing about the job, and, and I hear this from so many people. People's neighbors of airline pilots, they usually think they're unemployed. <laughs> think about that. That's hysterical. <laughs> they, they think the person doesn't work at all because they're, they're out there mowing the lawn all the time. They, you know, uh, normally, you're going to work maybe 15 days a month. If you live in base, that 15 days off is really 15 days off. You turn off the airplane, you go home. 
Uh, the only time you don't have that time off is you need to study, say, for recurrent training. I'm doing that right now. I'm studying for recurrent training. I think, Paul, you had mentioned you're also studying for recurrent. Yeah, um, I'm studying for recurrent this month as well. So that so gets up a, into the days off a little bit. But. It does. It does. But how about in also online training? We do a lot of online training, a lot of airlines I've worked for. I don't right. know if your airline yeah, does. Yeah, we do as well. Yep. So that eats up a little time also on your quote-unquote days off. But that time that you're off and you're doing the online training, uh, many airlines, most airlines actually pay you for that time. Right. Um, so I, I think I think you're on the right. I love the fact that he's a big dreamer. Uh, there's some, you know, the practical sides to all this, but you really need to to keep dreaming big, and I think that's that's super important. So yeah, great, it's good that you question. said that. I agree with you too because he's dreaming big, but he's also got practical questions in there as well. Oh so sure, he's, he's thinking both ways. It's re- he's going to go far. This guy. Oh yeah, I think he's going to do just uh, just great. By the way, I know uh, he had asked at the end of it. You know, maybe we should talk sometime. Remember, everything is specific to your situation. There's certain things that obviously I can't talk about on the on the podcast and we do do career coaching um and right now we do it's the first hour is actually only uh, 75 dollars and we include a uh, membership in the website and uh, specific pages on the website that are only for the career coaching section of the website so take a look at that uh, aviationcareerspodcast.com slash coaching so let's move on to the next one here paul here's an interesting question we get uh, says, uh, thank you again for all the work uh, in your podcast. I just finished episode 94 with ExpressJet, and it came at just the right time. I currently have over 4,400 total time and 2,800 hours of King Air PIC. All of my flying has been part 91 with zero jet time so far. I've been trying to get straight into the major, but so far I have not received the call. I currently have an offer to go to a large 135 operator flying King Air 350s. It would in most every way increase my quality of life and can only help my resume over the Part 91 operation I am now in. I'm also considering moving to a regional for a year in hopes of getting to a major after a year of 121 operations at the regional. Here's a question. Would my experience with the Turbine PIC along with a year as a regional first officer, make me a strong candidate for the legacies. This seems to make the most sense from the perspective of career progression, but would involve sacrifices from my family. If I'm flying at a 135 operation, do you think that attending OBAP, the Organization of Black Airline Pilots, and the Women in Aviation International Job Fairs, would be enough to get a call from a legacy, or do I just have to deal with the first-year regional pay? If I if a decent uh, chance at a legacy or for a major of my choice, if, if he wants a, a decent chance there for a legacy of choice is what he means is um, you know it's interesting because all those things there's there it, it's dynamic this question first of all yeah it does look better to have one twenty one time uh, but you have a ton of time here and PIC time uh, the one thing about the one twenty one time that that is important to an airline is uh, you know it, it both happens with the military pilots and also with the folks that have just done like one thirty five or ninety one flying is they don't really understand the one twenty one environment but you actually will get time to learn that one twenty one environment normally at the at the major level they don't spend as much time as they do on the regional level uh, with the one twenty one time and that's why. Uh, the the regional level it's set up a lot differently in training when you move into the airlines uh, they don't spend quite as much time at the majors because they don't have to because most people have that experience so that's one of the things they look at is that yes 121 experience does help uh, it does help in general 
but I'm looking at your question. You have to look at this, you know, holistically, and you got to look at your lifestyle. If you really are going to ruin your life and and it's going to really kill your quality of life, you need to look at that and say to yourself, "Is it worth it? Do I want to kill my quality of life and uh, and then go and and take this job where you know it'll affect your family in a really poor manner and I don't know if that's going to be a good idea to do that you have to really you know search inside yourself and, and with your family uh, also the other thing to look at as far as you know the the time and, and you asked another question as far as going to these events let's besides the one you mentioned you know obap and wai there's tons of different job fairs out there yes it does help to get out there and meet people uh, to go to these job fairs to do anything that's networking related is good um, the biggest thing is is getting out there and, and talking to people. Job fairs, I, I've been, you know, you know, for me, it's it's more about networking, networking, networking. Job fairs is just one way to do that. So, Paul, have you? I know you you uh, went to a one twenty one with uh, no experience prior. You went to a one twenty one regional. You know, how was that transition? It was it was a challenge. I went from. I, I was flying as an instructor, and then I flew 135 charter, and then I went to the airline. And I will say that the airline flying is completely different from any kind of flying that you can do outside of really the airline. So, you know, I I think that it's I think that he's you know his time is is pretty competitive. His total time is good. He's got tons of of PIC turbine time. So that's all really positive stuff. And I think. I think what's probably holding him back from a major or legacy job is is a lack of 121 time. I, I agree with you, um, but y- you're right. He's asking he's asking a couple of questions here, um, and and I think that the for me the biggest question is how is going to a regional going to impact his quality of life? And so he has he has uh, he's used to a certain quality of life right now working as a part 91 operator he's making a certain salary that i'm sure is far superior as a captain on a on a turboprop to to being a, a regional first year regional fo or even a third or fourth year regional fo so he's got he's ha- he's going to have to have a conversation with his family and and re- i agree with you really sit down and think what he wants to do um what the what the end game what he wants his end game to be uh, if he really wants to be at a, at a major or a legacy, then he may have to bite the bullet and go to a regional airline and fly and fly part 121 and get that experience. I think that I think that the training event is really important to go through. It shows that it shows that he's trainable, and I think that uh, the the flying experience in the 121 world is so vastly different that it it would help him transition when he goes to a major because as you said they do spend more time at the regional level knowing that guys are coming in with no 121 time so they it does make that transition easier it, there's still work that needs to be done but it's it's very manageable um and then to 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 his point with job fairs i i like job fairs you meet a bunch of really great guys uh i've i've been to a couple job fairs now and and the job fairs that i've gone to i've always i've met at least one or two people that i've stayed in contact with um that have really great experience and uh you know everybody's kind of cheering each other on and rooting for each other and and uh and you never know i mean somebody like you said you network at these things and you you meet somebody who 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 may 
maybe someday pass on a job to you that he thinks you'd be a perfect fit for. And, uh, and so you don't know what could happen, but it's certainly not going to hurt. Um, but I think to his point, if he, he has to decide what he wants to do for, for the rest of his career. And if, if that involves going to a legacy or a major airline, I, I, I think he's going to have to get some 121 time under his belt. I, I think it'll help. But um, here's another thing, too, to look at. There's a lot of guys that don't have any 121 time that do get hired with the majors. Uh, there's usually something that will distinguish them. There's some things in his comments here that he hasn't mentioned, which I would love to find out about is is how much of that's international flying. I know a lot of the folks that do get hired from the fractionals and also from the corporate world have quite a bit of international flying time, flying right. around uh, Mexico, right. the islands. That actually really helps you because uh, even though if you go back, uh, Chris Thren in one of our corporate pilot interviews, he talks about moving on to the airlines after a whole career working as a corporate pilot. That international flying helped him tremendously because now he's flying over the water, that type of thing, using the same skills he used before. And and I think he mentioned in the interview, but I know on, on speaking with him, he did mention that even though it was a challenge going to the 121 side, he actually reached out to people and said, hey, listen, you know, I'm I'm new to this. Uh, what I don't understand what this edict time is or what this, uh, you know, what it, what is it to push off the gate? Right. How do we get, you know, those kind of things and what those challenges are. Uh, they are learnable. It's uh, and, you know, there's there are some documents out there. Uh, so really, you have to look at the. It's not just time. If you're going, depends where you're going from and going to. And you can actually get some really good experience as a King Air pilot flying internationally. But again, that that whole operation where the dispatch release and all that it comes. I mean, but the, the most important thing is if if you do get hired and you're you don't have any 121 experience because we all got to start somewhere. Don't be afraid to ask. If you get hired at a regional, they're going to spend more time with you. Even though uh, I know it was a challenge for you, Paul, it was a challenge for me, you're, you're definitely going to get a lot more time on 121 ops than you do at, say, a major. Uh, right. So that's kind of like uh, the the person that I spoke with. This is a really interesting point is that he was an, a, a fighter pilot. He had no recent experience, so he went to work for a regional airline within a year, actually within about six months. He was hired by a major airline because he right. had recent 121 experience. So the 121 experience, if you just looked at it, let's not look at your life. Forget about your life and just looked at it from from a resume standpoint, the 121 time would be much better. Absolutely. I agree. <laughs> yes. Yeah, absolutely. Great question, though. I mean, it, it's a really tough choice to make in, in your career and in your life. I mean, going, you know, should I take the 121 time? Should I not? And don't ever discount the 121 turboprop time because 121 time is 121 time. Uh, you know, I've always said, if you want a challenge in life, go work for a regional. It's, uh, you're, you're flying, you know, more than three legs a day. Um, you're, uh, you're actually, you know, having to worry about paperwork and the legalities of the flight. You'll get a ton of experience. You know, I've actually, I've done upwards of seven legs in one day and every single leg I had a, I had to determine whether that flight was, was safe and whether the paperwork was in order. And once you go to a major, you're ne definitely not going to do that many legs in one day. I know, Paul, you've, you've, how many legs have you done in a day? I've never done more than five. Um, oh, wow. I think with 117, that really, that really, you know, hampered, uh, you know, the ability to, to pull in more than that. But um, five legs a day is, I mean, that's enough. I mean, that's a oh, lot yeah. of work. It is. It is. Speaking of 117, if you don't mind, we, we'll get off track just a little bit on the questions. Sure. Uh, discussing 
what you just said, limiting your time, that also affects your paycheck. Uh, it does. It, and what's interesting is I have this problem because I know I don't work that much, but when I do work, I go and I, I put a bunch of trips together. And yeah. I have problems picking up trips uh, because I'm knocking up against the, uh, you know, the hours on the and on 117. As a matter of fact, sure. I just had that happen to me the other day. I really wanted to go home, and uh, I had another person that could fly my trip, and they uh, they missed it by five minutes. Oh, that's a bummer. Uh, oh boy, yes, <laughs> and that ha- it's happened to me multiple times. It's all come down to 117. Uh, prior to that, because I'm in, I'm you know been around 121 for a while, so I'm still in the mindset of being able to do all this flying. Now I can't, you know. Now I'm limited right. there. But with that said, of course, the salaries are starting to come up a little bit more, which is good. Uh, you still can make the money, but it's it's uh, you have to be a little bit sharper as far as. Uh, and this has actually always been the case. It's all about soft time. That term that I'm using, soft time, is the time that you get paid when you're not flying. Uh, so it actually may not count towards uh, flight time, but say you're deadheading, you're doing online courses. Um, say, for instance, they decide to deadhead you out to the other coast and then deadhead you back. Uh, that's all soft time. It's a, it's a wonderful thing. Uh, it does go against your your total duty time for the day, of course, but as far as your you know your your flight duty, it's different. You know, if they want to deadhead you around the country and pay you, that's fine. <laughs> you know, um, and and you can always, you can do a deadhead on the end, uh, but you can't fly in the end. That's another thing too that's changed. Here here's another great example of how uh, the money has kind of gone downhill. Prior to one seventeen, I could volunteer to do a reposition flight at the end of my day. I just have to get my rest, right? After I do that reposition flight, that doesn't, that, that flight time didn't count. Now, towards my total duty day, I could, I can't do that anymore. I, I, I'm done. You know, we're, we become a pumpkin and that's it. You're done at uh, 16 hours. You're, it's over. So you cannot fly that quote unquote one, that part 91 flight at the end of the day. Uh, so that's, that's an interesting one. Uh, so. Uh, but on, on the other side, if you're starting out, and depending on the airline you work for, by the way, uh, this, this is very dependent on your agreement with your airline, you can make money as a flight instructor because now uh, in the interpretations of Part 117, the flight instruction time does not count towards you know, Part 121 time. Now, uh, and I could probably put a link in the, in the podcast for that, that is not – your airline may or may not agree with that. In the past, the way it worked was – and the way I, I actually agree with the fact that – in the past, the flight instructor in time was not considered towards your Part 121 commercial flying because it's teaching, and some FISDOs agreed with that, and some POIs agreed with that. It all depends on your airline. I worked for one airline that let you flight instruct and another one that would not. So it all depends on the – it used to depend on your the interpretations. Now there actually is an interpretation out there. So, you know, Paul, you had mentioned because you do a lot of legs. I don't do that many legs. Right. Um, it hasn't hurt me quite as much. Uh, it hurts It hurts me a little bit. But I'm sure it really puts a damper on you. And how how is that? It does. And I actually just had this conversation. It's funny that you brought this up. So – I, it impacts your, not only does it impact your paycheck because you're, you're not able to be, you're not able to fly as much because obviously we get paid from the time the door is closed to the time the door is open. So, um, if you fly less legs, you're, you're getting paid less money. Um, another way it impacts the, it impacts your life is from a quality of life standpoint. When I go to work, I don't, I like to work hard. Uh, 
for a couple of reasons. One, I'm in the time building phase of my career still. So I, I don't want to be away from my family and not be flying. So that's one thing. And I love to fly. So I want to fly when I'm supposed to be flying. But the other thing that that does is it makes your schedules less efficient. So if you have an efficient schedule, then you can also get more days off later, later, later on down the month, uh, down the line or, or in the month. So something that impacted the people that I worked with prior to 117 taking effect was they would do, instead of doing between three and five legs a day, they would do between six and eight legs a day. Well, what that did was that, that you would wind up working a really long, say day trip and then having extra days off in the month. So it was very common to get 18 days off in a month once you had a little bit of seniority under your belt. And I, I mean, I don't have to tell you if you're, if you're, I, I think for me, anything over 15 days off a month is a win. Uh, if I'm working half the month, I'm working part time. Um, well, to be working to get 18 days off a month, I think is, I mean, that's just incredible. And but that came with a that came with a price. The price was you worked super long days, you were flying tons of hours while you were at work, and and you know, so fatigue may may have been, you know, played into that. So they think we need to work a little bit more and work <laughs> work a little bit work a little less hard while we're there which right. is probably not a bad idea but that's one way that that impacts you also yeah it's funny i'm listening to you talk about uh, 15 days off and i'm like oh my gosh if i only got 15 days off i'd be working my butt <laughs> off and uh, you know it's true your perspective does change uh, does. so you know i i like to take a good at least I'm, I start at 15, go down to 20 days off a month is usually what I like to do. Right. Uh, so uh, there's a lot of, and it sounds weird, but there's a lot of folks out there that um, flying like nine, 10 days a month because they're flying such long trips. And uh, the other thing is you're, you're also getting paid for that. Here's, here's an interesting thing too. And it depends again on your airline and your work rules. When you go to work at certain airlines, you get paid a certain amount of money per day say okay and uh, and there's a big difference and we won't get into duty rigs and and all that and and right. the other and trip rigs but a lot of times for instance in a specific day if you go to work and you only work 1 hour a lot of airlines will pay you say $5 or 5 hours of pay some will pay you 2 hours of pay but uh, a lot of the majors you're looking at you're looking at like 5 hours at least for a day of pay um, so say you go to work and they want you to fly from, I don't know, from Orlando to West Palm beach. And that's all they want you to do for the day. You just made five hours of pay. And a lot of that's what's called soft time. That's how, that's that term soft time coming back, meaning the time that you're getting paid that you're not flying. So say it's an hour flight down there, block, total block time. You just got four hours of pay for sitting in a hotel and uh, say the next day they want you to fly from West Palm beach back to Orlando again. Well, yeah, have at it. You're still going to pay me five <laughs> five hours of pay for that. You know, I'll do that all day long, and then you can go out and pick up trips because that doesn't count towards your flight time and uh, FAR 117. So there are people out there. I, I'm I'm not the best at this. I used to be really good at the last airline I worked for, but you can make a whole bunch of hours of flight time. You know, they talk about minimum pay being, say, around 80 hours a month, uh, 75 hours a month at some airlines. Well, I know people that make 150 hours of pay every month. And, you know, I'm one. I used to do 130 hours a month. And there's ways to do that. Uh, the most I've ever seen, I saw somebody do 200 hours in one month. Um, that's a little bit too much 
uh, work, and and also it's basically trading in uh, vacation time, things like that. There's opportunities to make double time where instead of getting paid five hours for the day, you get paid ten hours for the day, that type of thing. So, you know, that's that's one thing I wanted to talk about as far as as and maybe even do a whole episode on how to make extra money as an airline pilot. There's so many ways to do it. You have to look at your rules and your work rules and your scheduling rules, and then learn how to use those rules to your benefit. Uh, and there's many ways to do that. And I know, Paul, your rules are different. My right. rules at the last airline were different. Rules at this airline, and they change all the time. Well, the you- other thing that's, that doesn't change and might be the same at every airline is the fact that um, right now airlines are short-staffed. It seems to be no matter where you go, there's trips in open time and, and uh, a need to fill these trips. Sometimes they're the less desirable trips. But I know at my airline right now, uh, even though it's regional, they're offering – uh, premium pay or, or time, you know, time and a half pay or double time pay and to pick up extra flying. And usually they're the stand up or split duty trips because people, people don't like to do those. Um, and split duties are where you fly the last flight out and the first flight back. And so you get, you get minimal rest in the hotel, but it's, it's, you can think of it as working a night shift. Just pretend that you're going to be up all night, and then it's a bonus if you get a, a few hours sleep in there in the middle there. Um, but the, what you can do is you can actually the company might call and say, "All right, we're going to offer you time and a half." So instead of making five hours, you know, you'll make you'll make time and a half on that. But what you can do is you could say, "Well, I won't do it for five hours, but I'll do it for twelve hours of pay, or I'll do it for ten hours of pay," and you negotiate with the with the scheduling department and depending on their need, they might be willing to, um, to pony up there. And that happens quite a bit lately, uh, sure. at least at our place and uh, other friends at other airlines are, are experiencing the same thing. Yeah. There's this, uh, you know, lack of pilots, especially at the regionals, you can make quite a bit of money doing, uh, doing Absolutely. those things. And, and even at the majors, cause they're still ramping up hiring and, and you can get caught in a situation where they're kind of short that month, especially in, in certain peak periods. You can make quite a bit of extra month. But going back to what you explained, uh, first of all, stand-up overnight is a term that you used, and a split shift is what you used. And uh, stand-up overnight is basically when it's a term used in the industry where you go to the hotel, but it's not considered an overnight. You're still on do- duty. In other right. words, you're a quote-unquote standing up at the airport. That's why they call it stand-up overnight. They right. just happen to give you a hotel room. You're still on duty. You can go take a nap or whatever. Uh, the other term that you used was split shift, and uh, that term is – you can explain that one, Paul. Split duty. So that that's a um, uh, a shift where you, ha- you work – like I said, the last flight out, first flight back. It's, it's like continuous duty, um, but they give you three hours, I believe it is, in, during your window of circadian low between um, uh, three and four. 5 a.m. and you have to get you, you get rest there, but uh, but again it's like a it's like a continuous duty, and I just think of it as working like a night shift and uh, to protect sort of protect yourself. Um, you have to be prepared to be up all night long, and uh, yeah, so that's it, they're they're challenging. Yeah, so it's basically just like a, a stand up overnight. Like it's it's pretty much the same. It is. Yeah. It's it's they're <laughs> sort of one and the same. Right, right, and and there's a, a lot of ways to get around these rules, but. 
Um, you know, because if they put you in a hotel on an overnight, you're done. You've got to rest, period, 10 hours. Right. This is one way they can they can actually keep you on duty. With that said, because of the fact you're flying overnight, the FAR-117 rules, the rest rules, I think we, we didn't say that in the beginning, but FAR-117 being the rest rules is going to decrease the amount of time that you can actually work because you're working within those hours. Right. Uh, so you can work more hours uh, during daylight hours than you can uh, during hours of your window of circadian low like you mentioned in the middle of the night. So right. there's a big – there's a whole charts and all, and uh, there's – I know quite a few things about FAR-117, and the one thing I do know about it is that uh, it's constantly changing, and there's new interpretations, and it's it was – actually, it's quite confusing. Uh, personally, I think one of the best things that came out of it is the 10 hours of rest. I, I just yeah. – I actually get eight hours of sleep on overnights now, which I never did. I mean, if I was happy to get five hours of sleep, six hours of sleep, right. I'm actually sleeping eight hours, and that is absolutely wonderful. Uh, so if they just did that, I would have been happy, period. Absolutely. <laughs> you know? Yeah, oh, absolutely. I, I know they went to this, this scientific method of uh, trying to figure out what was best in the windows of circadian low. They've actually made it a little bit more confusing. It's not really that bad if you figure it out, but it, it still is a little more confusing. Uh, so uh, so anyway, so we're going to talk a little bit about that in some episodes as far as how to make money as an airline pilot. We're looking at maybe doing a webinar on that. Uh, speaking of which, by the way, I digress. There's a, We actually have another technical webinar coming out. And it's uh, it's about holding patterns. It's an advanced guide to holding patterns, and that'll be coming out in the next few weeks. And that was actually Chris Pazala and I put that together as a webinar. It's holding patterns are very important for you as an airline pilot, especially because you need some way of stopping in space. You'll see that on the website. So I encourage you to go take a look at the video section of our website. And uh, anyway, let's move on to the next question. We got a, a few more here to to answer. Next question comes in says, "Hi Carl, love the show." You all do a great job and provide great information about careers in aviation. I'll keep it short. I'm a college senior at a non-aviation university, planning on getting my private pilot next semester, and then working on my other certificates once I graduate in June. My goals include getting to the regionals by age 23, and then hopefully to a major by 30. I'm currently 21. Anyway, I was wondering, what are some of the things I can do starting now that will distinguish me from the crowd when applying to pilot positions at regionals and majors? I'm open to every and any suggestion. Keep up the good work. Okay, two, a couple of simple things. First of all, this is awesome that you've decided to do this. I did this my senior year in college. I decided I wanted to go and fly. Uh, and uh, I actually postponed it 10 years because I had a business that I had started also at the same time. Uh, but, uh, you know, if you're going to get to the majors by your 30, that's 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 terrific. That's awesome. Most important thing you can do right now, get the hours. Get PIC time and uh, get those hours. Uh, that is the most important thing. Number two is look at organizations that you might think of joining that you support, uh, just like many of the ones we talked about here. Uh, there's many really good uh, aviation organizations out there that have special interests that you might be involved with uh, that would interest you, like Civil Air Patrol, say. Um, you know, women in aviation, uh, organization of black airline pilots. There's many different, uh, really, really cool, uh, specific organizations, the 99s, uh, many different ways you can distinguish yourself by actually getting involved in these. And also when you're out there doing your ratings, say you become a flight instructor, uh, try to get your, like some type of distinguishing certificate. For instance, the gold seal, they call it. Another thing that I, I actually had when I started flight instructing was 
was a, called a master CFI. Look into those kind of things. So those are the kind of things. Number one, get your hours, get your certificates. Number two, do everything else. Get all the other, become involved in organizations. Great for networking. Also, get as many distinguishing marks on your on your flying career and also any others. I mean, you're you're a non you're in a non aviation university. So was I. There was like nobody in my university that flew. As a matter of fact, there was one guy that was in aviation, and I went to a Jesuit school, and that was the local bishop. Uh, that you know, he he actually was really into aviation, so he and I had a lot to talk about. But that was about it. Otherwise, there was there was like nobody nobody involved in that. So, Paul, anything else you can add as far as uh, things that he could do to distinguish himself uh, from the crowd? Yeah, I think being a well rounded, just being well rounded, um, is really important. You know, I think I think sometimes a lot of the, the I mean, when I was a, when I was interviewing with regional airlines. Um, there was a lot of interest. It almost seemed like they were more interested in talking about my medevac career than they were about my, my flying career, uh, my <laughs> piloting career, which was, you know, so I had to almost steer the interview back towards my flying because um, that's what I was prepared to talk about. But, uh, but yeah, I think being well-rounded, um, maybe diversifying yourself and um, uh, is one thing you could do. I think another thing that you can do is volunteering uh, for organizations to show, um, I think, it, I think airlines like to see that you're, you're, you're a people person, you know, customer service is obviously really important, but they want to see that you're, you're people, a people person. So volunteering, um, for organizations, I think is a good idea. Maybe something like, I mean, I used to volunteer on the fire department, but, and the rescue squad, but maybe volunteering for like Habitat for Humanity or any, any, Honestly, I don't think it really matters. But anything that you really feel passionate about, I think it's good to volunteer. And something that I think can maybe set you apart is um, doing a really good job on all your flying tests and and passing all your training events and all your flying check rides, um, and uh, and not having any check ride failures. Or, I mean, and it, that's not uh, in any way a career stopper. But if think if you get through all your training and all your ratings and and everything without having a uh, check ride failure. I think that that might give you a leg up as well. Yeah, I, I like that you mentioned that. All those other things you can get involved with. He mentioned uh, something about a non-aviation a university. He obviously yeah. has a non-aviation degree. You know, any distinguishing marks there? Um, you know, I was actually in the computer science honor society because my degree was in computer right. science and math. Uh, those kind of things you will be discussed in your interview, just like you know Paul said. I think it's a great idea. Right. So, uh, yeah, do those things that, you know, number one, get your hours. Get your hours, 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 or everything. Everything is hours. <laughs> and, then, and then go from there because I know regional pilots that have been hired with zero degree, no degree at all. And uh, usually when that happens, the one instance I'm thinking of is somebody who got their commercial – you can't do this now, but uh, someone who got their commercial license and got hired and uh, right when he got his commercial license. But he happened to be the child of the chief pilot. Uh, so he had a wait. Yeah. So he did his degree and built his hours and built up his, his age <laughs> so he could all become an ATP, uh, by the time he was 23 at the, you know, that's how the rules were. And, uh, he, he actually uh, had to sit in the right seat for a long time. 23 years old, became a, a captain, went on to the major shortly after that. Wow. Uh, so, uh, so that's, I, I think he's, you're right on the right track. You're young. Uh, the biggest thing I can say is don't get, get, uh, you know, Put off track. I mean, I I did that. I went into a business and uh, had a couple businesses, and yeah, I got off track. I will, you know, financially it was good for me, but as far as my aviation career, uh, it wasn't uh, wasn't the best thing to do. 
in my life, it was good. I mean, everything's fine. It's just that uh, if I strictly wanted to get the airlines early, I should have just, boom, went and did all my flight time. I and, agree with that completely because I did the exact same thing. Yeah. And it, you know, it set us back. And, and I, you have the episode where you talk about the, what is it, the $2 million mistake. Right. right. I mean, and that's, I mean, you and I are, are great examples of that. We had different careers early, early on. And, you know, I'm working with guys that are, I, I have a, a friend who's a 25 year old captain at a, at a uh, regional airline, you know, and he's going to go to a major before he's 30. Um, and so he's, he's going to make another one. We figured it out the other day when we were flying. He's going to make another $1.85 million more than me if at the current numbers. And so that, I mean, that's a huge amount of money. And oh, he's sure. going to, you know, and that all, and that, that really only is the only reason for that is because he started earlier than me. Yeah, because and, and there's another important point for the people who are just starting listening to this podcast is your pay at an airline is all dependent on how many years you're there. Uh, it's not like other jobs where you can get promoted. Uh, you're, it's depending on how many how many years you're there and also when you make captain, and it's all right. based on seniority. That's it. Every single thing is based on seniority, and that's why we say that. It's, it's very age-dependent. Whereas, uh, say, in the corporate world, you can move from one job to the next, and actually, the next job, you may actually make more money. In aviation, you always go backwards first, and then you start making more money. If I went to work for another major, I would make at least half of what I'm making now, probably about a third, maybe, of what I'm making now. So it's something to think about in this career, something to take into consideration. It's all based on seniority. Uh, so that it, it's really interesting too. The other thing I don't mention in that podcast, I was just strictly looking at the numbers as far as as income. Uh, you right. know, my buddy and I, we were looking at our at the four hundred one k, and we were trying to. He's really young, uh, and I always talk about this person that was my student that's now going to be number one at the airline that I work for now. And when I retire, I'll be number twelve hundred when I retire. Right. Uh, so he actually, if you look at just the four hundred one k, he actually is going to have. Gosh, I, I think we figured a l- close to two million dollars more just in his retirement account. Right, right. Uh, so that's that's a lot of money. That's uh, and, and it happens a little bit at a time because the major airlines, besides just having, um, you know, things like uh, matching four hundred one k and things like that, they're the amount of money they put in is usually a lot more money, and, oh, and sure. it builds up dramatically. Uh, you know, I know I, uh, not to use any numbers, but I just, I put in my 401k more than I made my first year at an airline. Oh, sure. And it's just phenomenal how it can grow. Uh, so you can do that anywhere. I mean, that's, we don't give financial advice, obviously, but, uh, but you can do that anywhere, uh, any, any type of job. So save your money too, by the way. That's very important. Sure. Very, very important. Anyway, well, thanks. Thanks for that question. Excellent question. Uh, moving on uh, to the next question. This is actually a voicemail, so I'll just paraphrase what he has to say. Uh, in this voicemail, uh, he basically wants to know what's the best way to the majors via turbine regional or turbine fractional. I'm going to say turbine regional because it's 121 time if you want to go to the majors. If you want to uh, stay with a corporate job, then it's a turbine fractional but he mentioned majors uh the best way to get there especially with hours uh you can you can actually fly a whole bunch of hours at a regional airline um by the way paul how many hours uh do you fly i fly about 80 hours a month roughly yeah um i could fly more i could fly i could fly 100 hours a month uh i don't because i still work as a nurse uh although i'm I think when I get well, I think when I get upgraded to captain I'll probably try and pick up as much as I can because then financially it makes a little more sense. But right now financially it makes sense for me to work as a nurse. So um I'm working I'm working like 80 hours a month uh, yeah. on average. And 
and that's good and and you're right you know the other thing with the other the other thing with going to a regional is that you the hours come quickly um you know it's you're flying in a 121 environment and you get hours quickly you know you know at some at, at a fractional or, or a, a 135 charter operator you the likelihood of flying that many hours i think is is a little less I think you're going to fly a little less there. I mean, I'm sure there's jobs out there that where you can fly a lot in those positions, but I think on a whole, you do fly more in a regional. And so that's so if you're building hours and you're looking to go to a major, I think going to a regional is the the way to go. Yeah, it, it seems to be about a third of the hours at a, at a uh, a busy uh, type of corporate job. Right. Um, uh, it's not now. The other thing you need to understand is your pay is pretty good though at, at a lot of these yeah, urban that's true. fractionals. So it's nothing it has nothing to do with pay. It has to do with the amount of hours you're flying. No, not pay or quality of life. Right. I mean those those are two different discussions, but just getting from or you know, getting to a major, just strictly talking about that, I think it's better. Yeah, I mean you you look at, at like Tom Wachowski is a good example and yeah. you know, he's he's doing really well, uh, but he doesn't really uh fly that many hours. Uh, oh, yeah. So, which is kind of cool. He gets to do a lot of other things. Oh, yeah, neat. exactly. Yep. But uh, anyway, let's move on to the next question. It's uh, He says, hi, Carl. Thanks for putting out the podcast. I listened to it while working as a cleaner in between casual flying jobs here in Australia. I was wondering what your opinion was of paying for a Navajo endorsement or quote-unquote type rating to then work unpaid for three months followed by a pay rate paid per job below the award rate. Uh, I understand that it would be allow me to get some time, twin time in my law book, but it doesn't quite feel like the right thing to do. Does doing this destroy the industry? Um, I, I'll, let's start there. Does it does it destroy the industry? Anywhere you work, um, there's going to be wage pressures, and the wage pressures are usually based on what people are willing to work for. Uh, for instance, I had somebody that uh, applied for the same job I applied for, I didn't get the job. He got the job, even though I had twice the amount of experience. And I kind of like asked him why. And he said, well, I agreed to work for a dollar a month. Uh, because, and the reason, wow. the reason he did that is that he, and the reason the wages are really low in those entry level jobs is that you're just gaining experience. It's kind of like working at, at a McDonald's, et cetera. You're just there to gain experience to make you available for another job and put it on your resume, et cetera. In your case, you are getting a, you are getting a huge benefit of actually of, you know, flying an airplane and getting flight time. So you're basically paying for that in your salary is what's happening there. Uh, so yeah, that's, does it, is it destroying the industry? It's, it's not so much destroying the industry. It's actually helping the industry because it makes it cheaper, uh, for the employer. Uh, if you look at it from an industrial standpoint, uh, from the standpoint of wages, uh, it puts negative pressure on wages, of course, which then, yeah, I mean, if, if, if people refuse to work for free, then yeah, of course the wages will go up. I think that might be what you're asking. As far as the industry is concerned, no, if they could hire everybody for free, the industry would do much better, obviously, because uh, that cost would go away. But uh, that isn't how life works. You know, people don't work for free. But during that, and I've always said this, the regionals have a really good stance. Uh, I know that the, the wages have been coming up, but they can, they can primarily, uh, give you lower wages because of the fact that uh, they can sell you on it. They can say, hey, listen, you know, you're going to make less money, but you're going to gain your hours. Um, 
It's kind of like, you know, I liken it to paying for hours as opposed to actually going out and gaining the hours. I have a friend of mine who owns a restaurant and he flies around in his barren and he says, boy, I could get hired with a, you know, a major right now with my 4,000 hours PIC multi-engine time. You know? It's like, yeah, yeah, you might be able to do that. You know, it's, it's, uh, it's pretty interesting. So yeah, yeah, that's, that's the difference there. As far as the industry is concerned, it helps as far as pay and wages. It doesn't, doesn't really help the situation, but that's a decision you have to make. You know, if you want to, get involved in that you do i mean when we when i started with the airlines uh actually the month i started they stopped doing the pay for training what that meant is you got hired and you had to pay them to go to training so that they wouldn't incur the training costs so pay the pay that i got for the training would and i didn't have to do this luckily uh would have been close to what my annual salary was so basically i was working for free that first year which a lot of people did, especially in the regionals, when, when there was an overabundance of pilots, um, you know, on the regional side, it was it was pretty amazing. Uh, as a matter of fact, back then, I mean, you had five thousand hours just to get on a regional. It, wow. it was it was quite interesting. Uh, so yeah, that that's my opinion on that. I don't know, Paul, if you want to put anything, interject anything on that. No, I agree I can, with everything. Yeah. I agree with everything you said there. Yeah. So moving on to the rest of his email, he says, I currently work as a flight instructor and charter pilot. I've recently gained my instructor rating for the recreational aviation in Australia. That's uh, the light sport aircraft. My total time is uh, 660 hours, 200 hours instructing, 10 hours in twin. I hold a single engine IFR rating and night rating. But Australia restricts me to circuit only as the night rating is from New Zealand. Interesting. Uh, to keep myself busy in aviation, I'm also studying for the ATP uh, on the, all the ATP pilot subjects. I really enjoy instructing and have a long, very long-term goal of one day being a Czech captain at some sort of airliner. At this point in time, I'm trying to figure out what my next move would be. Married with a three-month-year-old which makes uh, moving a little more challenging. I'm trying to be more positive. Uh, currently, the aviation sector in Australia and New Zealand appears to be very quiet. What advice do you have for someone in my shoes for the next move? Uh, he says, P.S., I'm also an a- aircraft engineer. By the way, the term engineer means many different things in different countries. There's there's aerospace engineers and then there's an engineer. Engineers mean mechanics in most countries. In the United States, we call them mechanics usually. Uh, and also we might call them tech ops or technical operations. Uh, he continues to have my New Zealand basic um, uh I can't, L-A-M-E, lame, which doesn't have any type certificates, so I can't sign off anything, but uh, there are also doesn't appear to be any jobs for engineers at this time. So he can't cer- sign certain things off. He has a, has a, you know, a basic engineers or mechanics license there, uh, which is good. That's good for a resume. And uh, as far as somebody in your shoes moving forward and looking at your next move, and, and, and again, you're in an area where, uh, first of all, in Australia, that, and their rules about getting your licenses, et cetera. It's you, you want to get an oral exam and a written exam, go to Australia. I mean, I have friends that have converted their licenses and it is a challenge. It really is. It's kind of not like in the U S where we give you all the answers to the questions and, or all the <laughs> questions, you know, it's, it's pretty, it's a lot different. Um, but I, you know, as far as this option where you can get the type rating and, and move on, I'm not going to say, you know, one way or the other, but it, you know, it's something to look at. I mean, it, it's, if you have the time and you have the money, it looks like you have another consideration having a family at the time, at this time, it's, uh, it, it makes it more difficult. Um, but it, it's not impossible. I mean, look at Paul, Paul, you, you have a family I and mean, you have more right. than one child, right? Right. Uh, yep. We have the two boys and, uh, and the house and the mortgage and all the stuff that comes with it and, yeah, we we made it happen. 
we're making it happen, I guess I should say. And <laughs> it's tough, but it's doable. That's for sure. Yeah, definitely doable. So, so yeah, I would, I would say, you know, look at anything that can gain hours, especially multi-engine hours to move forward. Uh, well, his total occur- time is low too. And I think if yep. he, I think, you know, he could, he could instruct there for a while, build up his total time. That certainly wouldn't hurt either. Depending on where he is, as far as, uh, aviation's concerned, it's a little slower in certain areas. And I know in Australia that it's, it's a whole different ball game. It's a lot more expensive yeah. than, than in the United States. So you don't have quite the recreational aviation that you have here. Yeah. You have a lot of people passionate about it. That's for sure. Uh, just look at all the podcasts <laughs> in uh, in Australia. Just it's fascinating. I mean, some really great great people down there. Um, but uh, yeah, so I would I would definitely look at that as an option. So uh, moving on to our next question, it says, uh, Carl, I'm seriously considering a career change. I'm currently a 32 year old uh, golf coach and have been coaching for the past 10 years. I have a bachelor's degree in literature and a master's degree in writing. I want to thank you deeply for the information you provide on your website. It's really helped me. Fortunately, you have answered most of my questions. I've listened to almost all your podcasts in the last two weeks. Wow, that's a long two weeks of listening. Um, <laughs> if I chose to change my career, do I do you recommend the uh, ATP Fast Track? I know you can't say on your website if you know you approve of this direction. It would make my decision easy, but I trust you. Uh, um, speaking of which, yeah, uh, moving going fast is a good thing to go get. Uh, I think I think you may be talking about a company, but the ATP Fast Track. There's a lot of companies out there that do an ATP Fast Track. I think you might be talking about all ATPs. Um, it's a good school. Uh, it does get you through your ratings very quickly. Uh, so if you're looking to build up a lot of experience, get through your ratings and, and then start building experience that way. Um, and be a flight instructor if you want to gain a lot of experience. Uh, so yeah, I, I, it's, it, as a matter of fact, we're going to try to have somebody from all ATPs on, uh, just to talk about that program because we do get a lot of questions. There's other ones out there. Uh, so, uh, as specific schools, I can't actually recommend right now because, um, I, I know them, I know them fairly well, but for me to actually evaluate a specific school, um, and I've done this before. I've gone on and done, done an evaluation and interviews and stuff like that. It, it's a long process, and I would never comment on a school completely unless I've completed that full processes. Like I, I do, like safety audits and things like that. And uh, you know, they, it's it's an interesting thing to do. And I think uh, we're going to look more to do that. But it's it's actually a long process to do. But as far as the results are concerned, yeah, yeah, they, they do have some great results. Um, and he, she also uh, continues says, I'm seriously considering hiring you as a career coach. If I make the change towards being a pilot, can you provide information on the cost of your coaching services? Yeah, it's actually, uh, we just, uh, charge $75, uh, for the first hour. You get all the information on the website and membership access, uh, to the coaching section of the website and other sections. And then, uh, from there we have a, a much larger, uh, structure as far as if it's interview prep, resume, you know, review, that type of thing, we have uh, different hourly rates, and those are out there also. And, of course, it changes depending on the level uh, that you're at. But, uh, yeah, just send us an email, and we'll, and we'll shoot you over those those pay rates and stuff like that. A lot of times what happens with the career coaching is that, uh, you know, in the beginning especially, uh, we might do a couple sessions, and then you're on your own. Uh, usually uh, I kind of you kind of get on your own for a good year or so, two years, and then, then we move back into the sessions for the next step, that type of thing. So, uh, it really, it's just like, it's just like flight instructing, but for your career is basically what we do here. And we have, a uh, another thing too, is we have a service with 
um, interview preparation. We have certain airlines that we prep for. I don't like to mention them all because they're they're growing. Uh, we have different associates here that will help you with a specific interview. Uh, for instance, I won't do, say, the UPS interview because I don't do that one, but somebody else does. Uh, if you're looking at getting a job with ExpressJet and that type of thing, I might do that interview prep or somebody else that I have here that does that. So we, we do have it, – it changes daily. I mean, we have people that, that come on board uh, consistently that help us out with doing the interview prep. So coaching, though, is important, I think, uh, especially uh, as you get older when you're younger uh, usually the, the one or two sessions, it gets you on the right track and, uh, and puts you on the right track for a couple of years. When you're older, you have a lot of other things that you really need to discuss uh, because you have other responsibilities a lot of times, family, that type of thing, which is a lot different than somebody who's 18 years old, uh, 20 years old that's just coming out of college that doesn't have any of those. Uh, not saying that some don't, but uh, it's similar there. Paul, any anything you wanted to add there? No, I think, you know, I, I really like accelerated training. I'm I'm a huge fan of it. I've done it my I've done I've done both traditional and accelerated training, and as I was going through training, and I found that the accelerated training, and I did not go to ATP, so um, I'm not spe- I'm not speaking to the ATP specific school specifically. I'm just talking about accelerated training and a sort of fast track to your ATP in general. I think is is really is a really good way to train, um, you know, the military trains, you know, in that way, um, you, you get all the, it's like drinking from a fire hose. You get all the information right at, you know, at once. Um, you have an opportunity to fly a lot over a really short period of time. So you can correct your mistakes. You make a mistake on, on a flight in the morning and by the afternoon you're already correcting it. You're not waiting for a week or two weeks down the line to correct that mistake where you've already forgotten it. So, I'm a really big fan of accelerated training, and uh, another reason why I like accelerated training is, especially for a career changer like the, like this um, like this person. You know, I I think I was 32 when I started this career change, or 33, 34, somewhere in there. I can't remember exactly right now, but at, you know, at 32 years old, you're not you're not 23 like the like the previous uh, uh, person that we were just talking about. So you have things to think about like money on the back end. And the way I thought about it, the reason why I, I went so uh, – I went through my training so quickly was because I thought of every year that I wasn't working at an airline, even now, uh, I thought about the lost wages I would get on the back end. So if you, you know, when you, if you're talking about a legacy airline, uh, you, you're talking about maybe a quarter of a million dollars a year um, that you're not going to be making. So for every year that you're not there – on the back end, that's that's a lot of money lost, and so um, the qu- the the quicker you can get that training done, and the faster you could build your hours, and the quicker you can get into the right seat of a of a Part One Twenty One aircraft and start building your time to get to a major or legacy, the better off you're going to be in the end. So I, I'm a, I'm a real big proponent of that, and I think that uh, you know if, if she's considering this career change, I think uh, you know I think that'll help her get to uh, you know accomplish her goals. So to add to that, I'm glad you, you bought, brought that up. You know, I'm I'm one of those people that's been to a ton of different schools, and uh, I love the experience at many of the schools. I've done uh, accelerated training for my multi-engine. I did my multi-commercial because I was a multi-engine private pilot, and right. uh, I did my multi-commercial and multi-CFI within two and a half days. 
Uh, that was incredible. But I had to have everything prepared before I got there. Yes. Learned a lot. It was an incredible program. I also did a CFI accelerated training program, which was probably one of the worst programs I've ever been through. <laughs> uh, and I didn't really learn much at all. And uh, it just basically, uh, you know, I, I learned something, obviously, but it really uh, most of it was on my own, obviously. But right. it, it uh, the, the company's out of business, so I, you know, I'm not going right. to mention the name. But there, there were a lot of those in the past, and usually they they get weeded out. But there are probably still some out there. And I'm obviously not talking towards this school that you know all ATBs, et cetera. But uh, there are some accelerated programs that uh, basically are there to take your money and. And that's about it, not Agreed. provide so much on the training side. There's, uh, But if they've been around for a long time, they usually are, are pretty good. Um, uh, but again, as far as a complete evaluation of that, I really uh, – I'd have to do our complete evaluation before I'd say anything. But I, looking at results, I think they're pretty good, and I have a lot of positive feedback from many of the different accelerated training programs out there, even yeah. the ones at the local airports. I mean, I, I went through one at a, exactly. a small little airport that had accelerated training up in Connecticut. was just awesome. I, I don't know what they're called now. Uh, but uh, really, for your really multi, just, yeah, 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 they're, they're still called, they're, yeah, yeah. It was, it was called Action Multi Engine. I can't say enough that, good things about them. Yeah. I don't know if they're still around. They are actually. Um, I flew with the guy that used to be the chief pilot. He's a captain with us now. So, so I can't really say that that's. You know, I can't recommend that because it's been so many years. Uh, if I went and did an audit or had the guys on, yeah, I'd, I'd love to listen to them and, and stuff like that. So I'm not endorsing that. I would endorse it 15, 20 years ago. Uh, right. So that that's basically what we're saying is that we're we're looking at doing that. We just don't have the staff to, you know, honestly, to go out and do all these different evaluations. So, um, what we we are looking at possibly doing that in the future once we finish up. Uh, the, the few <laughs> hundred scholarships that have to get exactly. in the scholarships, guys. <laughs> we pick our battles here. Exactly. Uh, and, you know, I don't have an, a never-ending bucket of money here. So it's like <laughs> so I wish I could do all these things. But things are really grown, so that's a cool thing. Uh, but, hey, Paul, you know what? That's uh, that's our hour show. And uh, I know we have more questions. We're going to bring those up in the next episode. Uh, really appreciate Paul joining us this evening and give us a little more color as to what it's like to fly for a turboprop regional airline. And uh, and things are exciting. Things are moving quickly at the at the regionals. Uh, I know, Paul, you're looking at possibly even upgrading in the next year or so. Yeah, I think if everything, uh, as long as nothing changes, it could be less than a year from now uh, that I'm looking at an upgrade. So, it, I mean, it it's incredible how fast it moves. And uh, you know, you feel like you just got through initial, and you're already starting to study study the book for for upgrade. And so it's it goes by really quickly. And so before we close, of course, we have the uh, the Scholarship of the Week, which is the Express Jet Airlines Employee Scholarship. Of course, you have to be an a, uh, employee of that, schol- of that airline excuse me, uh, for that scholarship, and it offers like a $2,000 scholarship to employees. It also it varies, you know, as far as the, uh, the scholarship awards, how many they give away, that type of thing. Uh, there's many different requirements, but, uh, you know, financial need is not considered. Uh, but there are many different qualifying events, uh, you know, letters of recommendation and, you know, your work, your volunteer experience, that type of thing, an academic record. There are many more companies that are doing this, doing scholarships, and uh, we will be adding uh, more of those. Uh, so if you do work for ExpressJet and you're listening to this now, don't forget there is an ExpressJet Airlines employee scholarship. Uh, you have to actually go out to their website, the employee website, to find that. If you can't find it, send us an email. We'll send you uh, the link uh, on the website and the people that you need to talk to if you work for ExpressJet. But please look at the scholarship. If you're considering working for ExpressJet, it's it's something that I think you should consider. 
Well, Paul, hey, I, I tell you, this has been awesome uh, talking to you today. I'm glad you were able to help us out. Uh, and I know that Paul's actually uh, starting to help us out with certain interviews in certain airlines, and I really appreciate your doing that. Absolutely. Uh, and also just done some some amazing work uh, recently. We've had a lot of new scholarships placed on the website, and uh, Paul's done a bang-up job actually being a scholarships analyst and, and really made some great connections here. Uh, so, again, if you have questions about scholarships, go to feedback at aviationcareerspodcast.com, and uh, if it's directed towards Paul, I will send it over to him, and he can answer that question, uh, or to any of us here. We Most of us can answer the questions as far as the scholarships concerned. We all try to pitch in and help out with that. Um, and if you and if you do have a question about your career, go out to to the website, go to feedback at Aviation Careers Podcast, send us your questions. We'll try to get to them. We get so many questions. We obviously, like right now, we can't answer them all. Uh, also want your feedback as to do you like now that we're doing this every Thursday? I don't know if you noticed, but we've changed this to an every Thursday podcast because we have so many questions. We decided to go on a weekly and uh, we are doing interviews, of course. We're still doing the interviews, uh, but but I think it's important to get your questions answered. So I'd like to your feedback there. And if you do get a chance, go out to iTunes and, and uh, give us a review. You know, five-star review especially gives gets more people to see our podcast uh, on iTunes. And, and it gets this, this really valuable information out there. I'd love to hear feedback also uh, on those type of things. But here's another thing that, you know, I've, I've always said this and. In anything in your career, the, you know, the most important thing to do is do something now to move forward in your career. It might be a large step. It might be a small little step. But do something to move you forward in your career right now. Maybe it's actually researching some of these ab initio programs that we talked about, some of these schools that have an accelerated program, some of the scholarships. Look into different ways that you can build time to distinguish you from the others and look at different organizations you can join. Do something like that now. You can do it in front of your computer, you know, and, and that's that's the coolest thing is that we have so much, so much available to us that allows us to make that next step in our career. Well, this is Carl Valerian, Paul Greco from Aviation Careers Podcast. We really appreciate you listening today, and we'll talk to you next episode. You have been listening to Aviation Careers Podcast, an aviation podcast about living your dream and pursuing an exciting aviation career. This aviation podcast is produced by the Valeri Aviation Corporation. Although hosts or guests may receive compensation for products and services discussed in this podcast, compensation never influences our opinion. Before purchasing any product or service, you should always do your own research. Music by Billy Wheeler. All rights reserved.